You're listening to Historical AF, or if you cuss like we do, Historical As Fuck. This is your ambitious historian, Kina. And we're your chipper librarians, Ashley and Natalie. We're here to deliver the funny, weird, spooky, morbid, and random historical nuggets you never knew you needed. Yay, <laughs> Natalie's back! <laughs> Yay! I told you be back. Yay! <laughs> uh, we are all chipper as chipmunks. <laughs> it's yeah. probably sarcastic, but whatever. We're chipper! We can pretend. <laughs> yes. Uh, welcome to episode 15, and this is part two of our library theme, and it just seemed fitting that we'd bring back our guest librarian host, for this episode. Yay! Thank, thank you. Happy to be here. Yay! We're happy you're here. <laughs> so, how was your week? My week was fine-ish. I'm super stressed out about moving, but here I am. Still alive. <laughs> so, so chipper. <laughs> yes, so chipper. <laughs> moving just absolutely sucks. So, I can definitely relate. And in the summer... It's just the worst with the heat and everything. Yeah, no, I am not loving it. So I'm just like scrambling to get everything done, but it's fine. I I don't remember the last time I slept, so I might be punch drunk at this point. <laughs> well, my week at the library has been interesting. Like I was working the circulation desk and outside, all of a sudden we hear this fight break out being like, you fucking bitch, I'm going to punch <laughs> you in the face. And love they say, no, I know it. I, it was is quite spot on because I was just making these people a library card. I'm like, well, I'm going to get a library. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Yes. And I'm like, if you'd like to go to the fifth floor, they have a wonderful view and to maybe get away from these people, I would definitely understand that. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And they walk in and there's a man without a shirt and mainly two women. They're talking about pulling each other's weave out. It was just, it was definitely interesting. And then when I turn behind the circulation desk, it's glass to the workroom. And I see like six people just staring out like it's a goddamn <laughs> zoo. I mean, let's face it. Public libraries are similar to Sears. <laughs> they are. I uh, was working on the uh, library book list for this week. If you're a Patreon member, you get to see that. And I found a book that's called I Work in a Public Library, and it's just, like, personal stories and anecdotes from people who've worked in public libraries. I love that. Every day at Lehman, we were like, we got to write a book. Yes, someone did. It's my fetus. Well, someone at Lehman had had a bug log. Like, every bug they found in the library, she made a note. Why is this a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Was that Lehman? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the the way, everyone... (laughs) All three of us have worked at Layman. Kina and I have worked together, and Kina and Natalie have worked together, but Natalie and I did not work together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then I worked at the library system that Natalie worked at for a couple months, but we did not work together. <laughs> yeah. I know we just keep passing each other because I'm at Maine. Yeah. So, like, right when you were leaving, a few weeks later, I got hired, and yep. we just kept missing each other. <laughs> yep, yep. We just uh, go back and forth, so that's yeah. fun. Yeah. Kina, how was your week? My week was okay. I did not get the job, but I'm okay with it. I, I mean, nobody likes the brutal sting of rejection, but I, I knew that this job was going to be really big, and I have a lot of experience in children's programming and teenagers, but I have none in adults, so I understand why they went a little direction, but I'm really proud of myself because I made it to the finals 
which is very mm-hmm. difficult because it's an enormous museum. So uh, I am proud of you not only for doing the damn thing, but also for making an alien joke in your presentation. Yeah, and they were so sweet. They're so lovely. They wrote me a letter being like, you know, we really hope our paths cross again. We really enjoyed your presentation. And it just came down to, like, I just didn't have the experience. And, you know, they would have to take a big chance on somebody that that I would actually learn fast and be good at it. And I know I would be, but they don't know me. So I understand why they'd go somebody else. But So if you know anybody in San Antonio or Austin hiring a historian, send me an email because I'm still (laughs) looking for a job. (laughs) A super tall, hot historian. (laughs) Uh, no, I'm good. I mean, at least I got the podcast. I mean, this. Yeah. I mean, the bun included and everything. Gotta add that. Right? <laughs> she does. I am so jealous of the bun. I told someone the other day, I just want my hair back so I can wear a bun. Yeah. I got the librarian bun, and there's always like pins stuck in it. There's always yep. something like, yeah. And oh. I got the glasses today. What? Okay. I just remembered something I wanted to share with y'all to just illustrate how ridiculous I am. Okay. I have officially become. The type of pet parent who is making their dog's food from scratch. <laughs> I bought all the ingredients. I've been doing research for three months. I bought all the stuff yesterday. And after we finish recording today, I'm going to go cook a giant pot of dog food. <laughs> well, he's got allergies. So he has being all a black. good pet parent. I hope so. But yes, I had to share that with y'all because I feel so damn ridiculous, but whatever. It's for the it's for the dog and then it'll be for the gram. So <laughs> at, least, yeah. at least you feel a little ridiculous versus like being a snob about it. And just like yeah. I cook my own food for my dog and it's all organic and you just you know, you can be a complete bitch about it. <laughs> exactly. How dare you feed your dog out of a bag? Yeah, like, like I'm like, guys, I feel like an asshole because I, like, make my dog wear t-shirts. And he's an extra large in boys, but I feel like an idiot doing that. But he has his allergies. So. I get it. I'm ridiculous. The other night, we were going to bed, and we hear, like, a crash, and then we hear Rear crying. And I thought that somebody fell on him, and he was hurt. And, like, me and Zeke have never ran faster. We've run in here. And what had happened, he saw a cat outside and he had face smashed the window. He was like crawling at it and he was crying because he couldn't get to the cat. Oh, like, what is wrong with you? I had nearly like an aneurysm. It was horrible. Oh, hard. So, yeah, this is going to be part two of our libraries. And I know I'm pretty excited, but yeah, I kind of like this setup better. I know we've only done it for one week, but I really liked being able to finish recording and not feel like I've run a marathon. (laughs) So that's been nice. (laughs) Do we want to roll and see who goes first and see if we can roll one of our three topics? Yeah. Do you think I'm that talented? All right. Yes. Part two, libraries. Oh, cool. Perfect. That was, that worked out well. Never Mm -hmm. happens. Okay, cool. Well, let's jump into it. Okay. So, what kind of library can you walk through a Boeing 747, a planetarium, see a mastodon skeleton, or learn about Civil War trivia? Tell us. One that I need to go to. If you said presidential library, you win! And you didn't win. Sorry, bro. (laughs) for the record the boeing 747 is at reagan's library i had to google all this because i didn't know it 
Uh, the planetarium and the mastodon skeleton are at William McKinley's library, and the Civil War is at Lincoln's. So, cool. Oh. Who knew? Apparently, the Boeing is the Air Force One, and they have it set up inside the library, and you just walk through and then down. Oh my god, Bad how ass. much of a boss really ass cool. person do you have to be to have like an entire fucking airplane, airplane, <laughs> airplane in your library? There we go. Right? That's impressive. At a presidential library, you'll find plenty of unexpected things to do and ways to enrich your mind while expanding your knowledge of American history. So, obviously, big fan over here. (laughs) The presidential library system arose from Franklin Roosevelt's notion that presidential papers are so important that they need to be part of the national heritage. Okay. That's very prestigious. Right? It makes sense. He was also adamant that these documents should be accessible to the public. Which, for a democracy, you would think this would just be given. But apparently not. I'm not gonna lie. Until I got taken on a field trip to the Clinton Library in high school, I thought that presidential libraries were only for presidents. Like, only presidents (laughs) would go there. And, like, members of parliament. Yeah, like, I legitimately thought that. That's adorable. Whatever. I was smart otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) We all have our moments. I'm like, I swear I'm smart, but some things I I did as a child. Why? Why though? Look, okay, I have to derail for a second. Have I mentioned on here the ostrich and emu situation? No. Okay, so there is a museum in Little Rock. We know this, but for our listeners, this place called Museum of Discovery. It's a children's museum, but the last Thursday of every month, they do a after-hours program for people 21 and up that's called Science After Dark. And they did one that was the Science of Africa. And my friend Sarah and I went, and it was so cool. They have all these booths that are specific to the theme. And then you get to go play with all the experiments that the kids normally get to play with. And there's also, like, alcohol for sale and pizza. And it's just, it's a really fun time. And we stopped at this one table that had skulls on it and if you guessed all the skulls correctly of what the animal was then you would get a free ticket to the next month's science after dark well which was super cool and me being like a pretentious asshole i was like oh yes i will totally win this ticket so i one of the skulls was an ostrich and the guy asked me, the the worker asked if I knew the difference between an ostrich and an emu. And my dumbass said, well, I know that ostriches are American and emus are African. <laughs> <laughs> I am a grown ass adult who just told another grown ass adult at his job that ostriches are American. And my friend Sarah started, like, crying. She was laughing so hard. And that guy's face was like, am I going to get fired for this? Because he was trying so hard not to laugh. And I felt like such an idiot. (laughs) And so now every time we see an ostrich, my husband goes, look, honey, it's an ostrich. They're American. Aren't we all? We're all Americans. We are all. The world is America. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, I had to derail and tell y'all that because Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, you've been to a zoo, right? The ostriches are always with the zebras. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it makes it even worse. Plus, plus, they just do not look native here at all. Like, you can tell 
aliens probably dropped them off. Okay, let's be let's honest. Be real, <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna. Well, like one of my friends in high school, he lived on an ostrich farm. So I was <laughs> oh, so like, no wonder you thought they're American. <laughs> I guess I was just like, well, there's farms in America, like because there aren't farms for other foreign animals. Whatever, whatever. But anyway, libraries. <laughs> Libraries with ostriches. I'm so good at transitions. Go on. (laughs) Okay, so uh, where was I? Okay. He also asked that the National Archives take custody of his papers and other historical materials, and that they administer his library. So he was pretty uh, wise. Nice. In 1939, Roosevelt donated his personal and presidential papers, as well as a portion of his Hyde Park estate to the federal government. Also, friends of the president formed a nonprofit corporation to raise funds for the construction of a library and museum building. Where you at, friends? Build me a museum I can work at. God. Real talk. We need those kind you, of friends. Do you even have wealthy friends? Because mine are all poor. No, not <laughs> one. Get some. <laughs> Not a single one. <laughs> I need wealthy friends. Wealthy friends, where are you? I if you would like you. to join our Patreon as a wealthy friend. <laughs> please do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, please, oh, please. Prior to this time, presidents had dispersed their papers to places like the Library of Congress and other libraries, historical societies, and private collections at the end of their administration. Sadly, many of these materials have been lost, and even more sad, some were deliberately destroyed. So, that's uh, like nerd heart, like a dagger, just stabbing me. Ugh. Shameful. I know it is. Ugh. All you shady bastards, don't burn Real your shit. talk. In 1950, Harry S. Truman decided that he, too, would build a library to house his presidential papers and help to galvanize congressional action. In 1955, Congress passed the Presidential Libraries Act, establishing a system of privately erected and federally maintained libraries. I am so naive. I didn't realize there was a a lot of acts that created these. So I'm learning, too. I did not know that either. (laughs) The more you know. Rainbow. Yes. Uh, The act encouraged other presidents to donate their historical materials to the government and ensured the preservation of presidential papers, and their availability to the American people. Under this and subsequent act, more libraries have been established. In each case, funds from private and non-federal public sources provided the funds to build the library. Once completed, the private organization turned over the library to the National Archives and Record Administration to operate and maintain. The Presidential Records Act of 1978 made presidential records documenting the constitutional, statutory, and ceremonial duties of the president the property of the U.S. government. So, fun fact, Congress created this act out of the concern that former President Nixon was going to destroy all his tapes (laughs) before he resigned. That was a good call. Yeah, so let's make it illegal for him to burn anything. Like... You're like we're gonna it's just for the libraries but they're like no it's just so you don't burn your shit you know i have <laughs> i have read about this act now that i think about it because i was reading about how donald trump cannot delete his tweets oh we're gonna get there <laughs> yes yes okay sorry i have i have my feelings on that go on oh i do too i have a lot <laughs> and by the time we get done with this we'll understand why that is such a horrible thing why he cannot do that so yay education Woo. <laughs> <laughs> 
His knowledge is power. <laughs> so before 1978, everything back until George Washington, a.k.a. the first president, a.k.a. Mr. Too Good to Return His Library Books, a.k.a. Mr. Has a Big Ass Overdue Fine, was the, <laughs> it was the property of the president and not the government. So, so after the president leaves, the archivist of the United States, which is a job, imagine being like the archivist. I would be like so freaked out. I would have such a panic attack every day, just being like, "Oh my god, I'm the top of the top. What do I do?" And it was like no pressure, right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> like I said, the archivist of the U.S. assumes custody of the records, but the act allows for the continuation of public library systems to act as a repository for a presidential record. Which I was going to go into the whole thing about the difference between an archive and a repository and a library and about how a library can be a repository, but not all repositories are libraries. But I'm going to spare you that because that's a complete <laughs> mindfuck. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Those were, that was a lot of words right there. That you just said. <laughs> I had like a whole class basically on that, like the difference. And I still don't 100% know what I'm talking about. So It's like a theory. Yeah. <laughs> Like music theory and all that junk, like just the gross. So this act, which they abbreviate as the PRA, set strict rules for the presidential records created during a president's term. They include materials related to the constitutional, official, or ceremonial duties of the president. Like I said, this includes records created on electronic platforms as well, such as email, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There is a narrow exception that things like diaries, journals, or other personal notes that can be hidden from public view. But this is why, like we said earlier, why when Trump deletes a tweet, it's a huge ass deal because everything he tweets has to become government property and has to be archived correctly. So when he deletes that, he is kind of like stepping on the PRA. And I am living for every non-deletable tweet, living for it. There should be a book printed with all of his tweets just to read through them and all oh, the chaos. Oh, and... oh we're going to get there. <laughs> yes! I love you. Oh, God. But yeah, that's why it's such a big deal. But there's somebody, and this poor person, somebody out there is archiving his tweets. And the second he tweets, they have to make sure that it's preserved. And this is this person's job, even his 4 a.m. toilet tweets, because you know that's what he's doing. Yep. Like, <laughs> this is this person's livelihood. I hope they get paid a lot. I hope they make good money. (laughs) Oh, I hope so, too. So, the Presidential Libraries Act of 1986, which makes me feel old because neither one of you were born at this point, uh, (laughs) also also made significant changes to the presidential libraries, requiring that private endowments link to the size of the facility. The government uses the endowments to offset a portion of the maintenance costs for the libraries. So, this is like, it's very complicated. So if you work at a public library, or not a public library, if you work at a presidential library, you have your government-ran section, and then there's also usually a private side that's kind of, that does endowments and stuff. So they use those to offshoot the costs so that the government isn't paying for everything. Okay, cool. Hmm. Yeah. What's it called? The, the foundation. So like the Clinton Library in Arkansas that we all know, they have a foundation, and right, right. they work together, but they're set separate entities. Huh. Um, which was really fun. I know a lot of people that work there. No big deal. But, um, you know, whenever <laughs> Just a name have... drop, it's fine. <laughs> you know, when people are tweeting those pictures of famous people as kids at that hashtag something to raise money. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 
when that happened, the Clinton Library called basically the foundation being like, you need to find a picture because anything from the Clinton Library is only his presidential years. So the foundation takes over his childhood. So they had to call the foundation to dig out a picture of him as a teenager to post on their Twitter. So it's like a, that makes sense. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So since then, the presidential library system has continued to evolve. More and more libraries have been established. So the presidential library system is composed of 14 presidential libraries as of today in 2019. These facilities are overseen by the Office of Presidential Libraries that are a part of the National Archive and Record Administration. Okay, so here are all the libraries. There is the first one is the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum that is in Iowa. The Franklin D. Roosevelt Presidential Library and Museum that is in New York. Harry S. Truman Presidential Library and Museum that's in Missouri. The Dwight D. D. Eisenhower Presidential Library and Museum is in Abilene, 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 God damn it. Yeah, Kansas. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I like, I don't want to butcher cities. I'm like, somebody's going to email me, but then I butcher it worse when I panic. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was very like that weird children's song. I like to eat, 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 and bananas. Like it just, (laughs) we went through the gamut. It's fine. (laughs) Well, that, you never know when you live there how they say that. Like, we have in Arkansas, El Dorado and, instead of El Dorado. Yeah. And we, we have, like, Lone Oak County and says Lenoki or something. So. Yep. Yeah, in Minnesota, right. they have New Prague instead of New Prague. And, like, mm-hmm. here, uh, the county of San Antonio is B-E-X-A-R. It looks like Bexar, but it's Bear. So, figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> You can definitely weed out who's not from here by how they talk. I would definitely have butchered that. Yeah. I did. Spoiler, Kina got, got weeded out as someone not from there. I did. <laughs> All right. So the JFK Presidential Library and Museum is in Boston, Massachusetts. The Lyndon Baines Johnson Presidential Library and Museum is in Austin, Texas, which one of my friends is working on her dissertation there right now. So Very shout out Monica. to you. Yeah. Shout out to Monica. <laughs> But she has done more in Texas, like, sightseeing in a week than I've done the entire time I've lived here. So she's <laughs> making me feel like I haven't really experienced Texas at all. So thanks, you got to pace yourself, okay? Yeah. Pace yourself. Yeah. Well, she's not living there, living there. You are, you are, right? That's true. Yeah. But I keep yeah, seeing so these she... pictures. I'm like, I need to go there. Shit. Okay. Yeah. The Richard Nixon <laughs> Presidential Library and Museum that's in Yorba Linda, California. I'm probably butchering that, too. This one is interesting. The Gerald R. Ford Presidential Library is in Ann Arbor, Michigan, but the Gerald (laughs) R. Ford Presidential Museum is in Grand Rapids. So they're separate. All the other ones are together. So that was interesting to me. That's cool. The Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum is in Atlanta, Georgia. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum is in Simi Valley, California. The George Bush Presidential Library and Museum is in College Station, Texas. The William J. Clinton Presidential Library and Museum is in Little Rock, Arkansas. Woo! <laughs> Our place. We've all worked, like, in that vicinity. We yes. saw it every day. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. The trailer. Yeah, yeah it looks like a trailer. <laughs> a very so nice if, one. If nobody's ever seen the... Clinton Library. The idea is that there's these old bridges that connect North Little Rock to Little Rock, 
And the idea of the building was to kind of look like a bridge of the future conjoining these old bridges. But it just looks like the biggest trailer in Arkansas. But this is just a yeah. giant rectangle. That's it, it. Mm-hmm. Like a very flat. modern glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rectangle. It's a lovely museum. And oh, yeah. I love it. I love it so much. But yeah, it does look like a trailer. Yeah, it gets right. called the trailer a lot. So good old number 43, George W. Presidential Library and Museum is in Dallas, Texas. And the Barack Obama Presidential Library is going to be in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. That was cool. That is cool. I was wondering where that was going to be. Yeah, they're building it, and they got their first interns. And it was the most beautiful photo I've ever seen. It was the most diverse (laughs) group of people I've ever seen in my life. Just, like, it was amazing. So, uh, yeah, yay, I want to go there. Can I make a terrible joke that's going to um, make any of our Trump-supporting listeners probably mad? Sure. Do you think that the Trump presidential library will, like, have a McDonald's in it and give out Happy Meals? Okay, so, so. you know, in grad school, this was, like, classes we took was, like, how to be... Everybody worked at the presidential library because that's where most of the graduate assistantships were. And people talk about this. Like, what will his you know, library look like. And most people are like, it's probably going to be gold-plated and it will probably only have his books in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be a digital library only. And yeah. there's going to be tablets everywhere where you can scroll through his tweets. Well, we're going to end with what <laughs> he said about... <laughs> yeah, we're going to end with what he said his library is going to be like and why that's problematic. So that's what we'll end this with. So guess which state has the most presidential libraries? Uh, Washington? I don't know. No, Texas! Boom! Oh, duh. So we've had the most presidents from Texas, and usually it's in their home state, so. True. To be fair, there's, like, Texas the size of four states, so. That's true. And which presidential library contains the largest collection of presidential papers and artifacts? That one, I have no idea. Fuck if I know. Bill Clinton! (laughs) Oh. Okay. Shout out to Arkansas. Good job. Like, good job in your trailer trash trailer. (laughs) Also, shout out to all my friends that work at the Clinton Library. Yay. Yes, mine too. (laughs) All right. So my topic is random and Ashley gave me the word bodies, which I forgot to say earlier. So this is where the bodies come from. This is a list of presidents that have been buried in their presidential library. I don't need to know that. (laughs) All right. So Herbert Hoover. Harry S. Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and George Bush. That is a lot more than I thought there would be. Right? Uh, that feels very Egyptian. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. They're their tombs. Yeah. What gave me this idea is I follow this group on Facebook. It's like Texas Historical Markers. And somebody posted a picture at the George Bush Presidential Library. And he was visiting bush and his wife you know the first lady and i was like huh and it was very beautiful like it's outside it's not like a crypt inside most of these are outside but it was really and got me thinking i was like how many presidents are buried there i i would love it if they get like bill and hillary get buried at the hillary clinton children's library Hell yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> thank you for that mental image i love it <laughs> like because they have like and like okay the children's library you know, it's the Hillary Clinton one in Little Rock. It's it is really wonderful. Like it's a beautiful building, and they have 
little art gallery and they have the greenhouse and like a little walking trail and in the middle of that walking trail we'll just have a big crypt yeah with the <laughs> glen burial love it <laughs> kids with that, like little story. little toddlers like all right y'all we're gonna do our story time outside today by the clintons <laughs> And we'll teach you about death while you're out here. <laughs> oh, okay. There are picture books about loss, so that's okay. Yes. Yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> right. So we're going to take a spooky historical detour. Aww. With all the history stored in presidential libraries, it seems inevitable that one of them would be haunted. None more so than Richard Nixon's presidential library located in California near his boyhood home. So... I'm going to send you guys, I'm going to text you a picture. Uh, 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 uh. In Nixon's library, a green hazy mist has been reported around Nixon's headstone. Others have seen dark figures entering the locked front of his childhood home. Do you see it? Yeah, it's very ghostbustery, like green blob. It is. It It looks fake, but there were so many of these pictures. Or radioactive uh, Ninja Turtle-ness going to raise out (laughs) from there. One of the two. It looks like... Oh, shit. What is that called? It looks like a fart on Despicable Me. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as always, we will put this picture on Facebook on Sunday when this live. Please do. And then they said things move by itself. Visitors feel cold drafts. They smell weird smells hear buzzing noises, and even feel clammy hands grabbing at them. Nope. Don't like that. Pass. Dirty, pass. Dirty Dick needs to keep his hands off of people. Wasn't that his nickname? <laughs> Dirty <Yes>. Dick. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like we've done the historical dick episode, but we need to do like a presidential dick episode because I have so many on like uh, well, he was called Dick, but then like LBJ apparently named his Dick Jumbo and like wave it at people. Ugh. God, I hate uh, it. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Yay, America. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely happening too. All right. So that in general, there's a feeling of uneasiness near Nixon's grave, and Richard Nixon's wife Pat, who is also buried on the property, has been seeing enjoying herself in the rose garden near her final resting place. All right, and so now for a comedic history detour. The Donald J. Trump Presidential Twitter Library is an award-winning pop-up (laughs) exhibit, which has traveled from New York to L.A. since 2017. The pop-up exhibit showcases and analyzes the finest works of Trump's Twitter collection, his preferred vessel for communicating with the public. Now, this is a joke, but it's also not, (laughs) because it's... His tweets are, you know, being documented by archivists and have to be, like, like we said before. But, yeah, this was the Daily Show creating this because it's all factual. There's nothing in this exhibit that is not true, but it was still hilarious. So they should just title the installation, Oh, God, It's Not Satire. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Can you imagine? Like, Daily Show has always been, like, satirical news, but now it's probably the most reliable news source. Oh, yeah, I love The Daily Show. I always relied on that for Mm -hmm. my news. Um, But it also makes me think of Saturday Night Live, especially during, like, when Trump was first elected. Mm -hmm. And they would do their skits, and they were direct quotes. Like, they didn't have to tweak anything to be funny. Like, they were direct quotes, which is, like, cringeworthy that he got elected. Yeah. But but still, like, the funniest, yeah. 
Yeah, yep. it's a wild time that we live in. Things that only happen in dystopian novels are happening on the reg now, so that's fun. That's a whole mood. Oh, yeah. So one last thing. Uh, in June of this year, 2019, the president commented that his library would be on one of his own properties, meaning he intends to profit off of it. This is unprecedented, and it's also not legal. So this is something that you should keep an eye on and see what happens in the news, because it is a big deal. And now you should know why it's a big deal, because there are several laws that say that this can't happen. So Yep. Uh, now you're informed to make your own decision. Yeah, that's such a good thing to know. Like, <sighs> yeah. keep an eye on. Cool. I mean, it's no joke that we're all liberal here, and I have nothing against people that are conservative, but I think that people should be more aware of history and laws before you make an opinion on something. So, especially the law part, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't yep. don't make some crazy accusations, you know, or assume anybody is one thing. Just do some research, folks. Yeah. Google is your friend. All right? And also, don't be a dick. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you're conservative or not. Just don't be a dick. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta be informed. And yeah. libraries are free. So if you don't know an answer, go to your library. A library yes. will help you find the answer. Yes, we yeah. will. And just ignore any craziness if anything happens. Yeah, like, if you're breaking out, out this. Yes. <laughs> God, you know, there's so many times where, like, I'd be at work and, like, a fight would break out. And it's gets to the point where it's not even shocking and you're just like, <sighs> and then you got to go break it up or call the cops. And they're on speed dial and you're like, this is my life now. It's, it's One of my favorites is always when people are trying to be intimate in the elevator or the study yeah. rooms. Oh, oh my God. I don't it's know just... what it is about libraries that turns people on, but they need to quit. I know. And in the study rooms... At the one I work at, are glass. Yeah, right. We're yep. glass. Like, really? It's some kind of weird boy situation. Did either one of you work at Lehman when they found the cardboard box in a bush that had underwear and a water gun? That was yeah. me. I was yes. <laughs> I wasn't there, but I remember you telling me about it. They made like a sex pad in a bush out in the yep. plaza, and I was just like, huh. <laughs> no, no, no. One well, of my favorites is um, a couple of men being intimate in the restroom, and we found out that there was an ad on Craigslist <laughs> yep. to meet up with this gentleman. Yep, um, at Lincoln. That. Yep. Yeah, that was that was a good time. Oh. We love this library. If you're from Arkansas, definitely go to this library. <laughs> we just have a lot of funny questions. Yes. I probably probably should stop saying that. I know. I like I, I bring up, I bring up this I bring up the dirt of this library, yeah. But there was plenty of good times. I mean, the the programs there are great. At every library I've worked at, I've I've always enjoyed. But there's just always a few of those crazy stories that really stand out. Yep. <laughs> like gay sex in the bathroom, you know. Like finding <laughs> like finding a chicken in the reference department, a live chicken, because that <laughs> happened too. <laughs> I don't remember the but, chicken. Yeah. There were a few dogs, like stray dogs that were oh, yeah. the automatic doors. And then people yep. are so excited that there's a dog in there. Nobody wants to catch it. Because we're like, oh, oh yeah. puppy. <laughs> or the naked people that would run in, running from the cops. Like, if you're on the run from the cops, why would you be like, I'm going to run through this children's department because they're not going to catch me in there. You're going to stand out. Like, I don't. <laughs> that happened several times. <laughs> Let's be real. Oh, God. All right. So who's next? I will go next. So 
because I'm excited. Before I get into my topic, which is historical this week, I printed off some stuff that I found was funny, and I just wanted to read it off real quick to y'all. <laughs> These are reference questions before the 1950s that were found in the New York Public Library's catalogs. Oh, fun. When they digitized. So they're a wonderful. I was originally going to do it as a weird story, but I did not love it. But I still want to share them because they're hilarious. So the first one is, do you have any books on human beings? <laughs> nope. Not at all. Why do 18th century English paintings have so many squirrels in them? And how did they tame them so they wouldn't bite the painter? Okay, there's like a really famous painting where the guy, like the squirrel's on a little delicate leash on his table while he's doing like letters. Yeah, it's, man. I understand that one. There are a lot of squirrels in. The squirrels are fucking awesome. They're <laughs> cute. They're energetic. I wish I could be more squirrel like, but I'm more of a sloth. I'll be Love honest. It. Love it. That's true. Our spirit animal. <laughs> I feel like my spirit animal would be like a panther sloth. <laughs> like, I want to be this, I want my spirit animal to be Kristen Bell looking at a sloth, but I'm more so the sloth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Patronus, I don't know, it's probably just a giant spoiled dog like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> at least you'd have someone making your food for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll make food for you. <laughs> so next we have, when writing to a sailor... Should one always spell the word way, W-E-I-G-H, as in anchors away, out of courtesy, even when it is usually spelled W-A-Y? Huh. That's uh, a very was... specific question. I know. Right? <laughs> well, I love that it's like out of courtesy. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> well, like, why is that out of courtesy? Like, he's in the Navy. He's not weighing things all the time. Or is it like because he is away, you don't want to trigger him about knowing that he's away from home? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I don't understand the question because I would I think either. anchors away, like the word away, one yeah. word, yeah. not two. Yeah. I'm very confused. So this one was a telephone call <laughs> mid-afternoon on New Year's Day in 1967. Somewhat uncertain female voice. I have two questions. The first is sort of an etiquette one. I went to a New Year's Eve party and unexpectedly stayed over. I don't really know the host. Ought I to send a thank you note? Second, when you meet a fellow and you know he's worth $27 million because that's what they told me. $27 million. Wow, I lost my voice. And, and you know his nationality. How do you find out his name? Hmm. I say no to the thank you note because why bring up that? That you actually stay. <laughs> right. Unless they were, like, very gracious about it, then you might want to, like, send a little message being like, oh, you know, I just want to say thank you again. That was so kind of you. Like, yes. whatever. But normally, like, I'm like, no, just let it be less awkward. Yes. Uh, um, but the other one, I have no idea. Girl, ask your friends. Yeah, it is a little stalkery. I mean, this is pre-Google. You can stalk all you want when your heart's content without telling people that's what you're doing, but... I mean, let's face the way we've all Googled somebody without them knowing. Oh, yeah. I Googled myself. Yep. I Googled myself. I know. <laughs> okay. What kind of an apple did Eve eat? Uh, Granny Smith. Those are the best. Mm, yeah. Or Pink Lady. I'm really digging those ladies. Oh, yes. I am a gala apple eater. Oh, yes. Those are good Does too. anyone popular a- opinion is that Adam was like, ooh, this apple looks good. You should try it first because ladies first. And then she got blamed for it. That's my opinion. <laughs> I I fully subscribe to that. 
Are we funny? Like, there was actually other fruit, but she just ate the apples, like the one thing you weren't supposed to. And he was over there with onions and veggies and stuff. Have you guys seen Good Omens? Yep, I just finished Uh, it last night. All right, so it shows Adam and Eve, and then David Tennant's playing this demon, and he shows up, and he was just like, I mean, if you're trying to tempt them, and you don't want them to be tempted, though, but why would you put it so delicious and, like, right smack in the middle and make it the biggest thing around? Yep. (laughs) He's like, it was too easy. (laughs) Yeah. So the last one, before I go to my actual topic, is does anyone have a copyright on the Bible? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody trying to get in on that? (laughs) Exactly. Someone is trying to find them a lucrative deal. Hey, Jesus sells. All right. Jesus sells. Exactly. Do different, like, people do, like, the children's Bible. Do they copyright it so they make a profit off of Jesus? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah, there's all kinds of different illustrated children's Mm -hmm. books. I never thought about that. Never thought about it. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Food for thought. Okay. So my <laughs> historical AF topic, I am going to talk about the Library of Alexandria. Oh yes, fuck yes. <laughs> okay, so I have a confession. As a librarian, I've always known that I should be enraged about the burning of the Library of Alexandria. Like it's this big thing that from the moment I set foot in a library, somebody has always mentioned, and I'm like, yeah damn the people who burned Alexandria but I had no idea what actually went down (laughs) like I was just like yep it burned but I don't know why so we're just gonna dive into it I'm gonna give you a little bit of an explanation of what Library of Alexandria is based from Britannica's online encyclopedia because I honestly couldn't write it any better so Library of Alexandria is the most famous library of classical antiquity It formed part of the Research Institute at Alexandria in Egypt that is known as the Alexandrian Museum. And there's also Mousion or Mousion. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to butcher a lot of shit in this story, (laughs) Uh, which is the shrine of the hard. Oh, my God. It's so hard, especially when you think that ostriches live in America. Anyway. (laughs) So libraries and archives were known at the time to many ancient civilizations in Egypt, Mesopotamia, Syria, Asia Minor, and Greece. But the earliest such institutions were of a local and regional regional nature, primarily concerned with the conservation of their own particular traditions and heritage. So the idea of a universal library like Alexandria was arose only after the Greek mind had begun to envisage and encompass a larger worldview. The Greeks were impressed by the achievements of their neighbors, and many Greek intellectuals sought to explore the resources of Oriental knowledge. There is literary evidence of Greek individuals visiting Egypt, especially to acquire knowledge such as like Herodotus, Plato, Theophastus, and Eudoxus of Canidus. And those are the easiest names I will say the entire time. (laughs) I'm just nodding because I'm like, I don't know. So the founding of the library and the Maustian is unquestionably connected with the name of Demetrius of Phaleron, who was a member of a peripatetic school and a former Athenian politician. So he fell from power in Athens and came to Egypt to seek refuge at the court of King Ptolemy I Soter, circa about 927 BCE, and he became the king's advisor. So Ptolemy soon took advantage of Demetrius's wide and versatile knowledge, and at about 295 BCE, he charged him with the task of founding the library in the Mousion. Mousion? I don't know. I forgot. So the letters of Aristius of the 2nd century BCE reveals that the institution was conceived as a universal library. 
Now, here's what got me originally interested in learning about Alexandria. It's how they found books to populate the library. All right. So, basically, every ship that would come into port at Alexandria in the bay next to the library, Ptolemaic family would have each of the boats searched for books. If they found one, it would be taken back to the library for a decision as to whether to return it or to confiscate it and then make a copy of it and then give the boat back the copy. Mm-hmm. And then they would keep the original and those in the like designation of how, which I'll get into a little bit of how they like catalog the library were the, from the ship's books. So I love that they were like, yeah, you can come bring us stuff, but I'm going to take this book from you and then I'm going to keep the book, but you can have the copy, but I'm keeping the original. Like, I don't know why that makes me laugh, but it's wonderful. <laughs> well, that's a bamf move right there. Ptolemy the Third is the one that really did this, and he was able to obtain the original text of the great dramatic poets Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides. These texts were safeguarded in the Athenian state archives and were not allowed to be lent out. At this time, the king persuaded the governors of Athens to permit him to borrow them in order to have them copied. The enormous sum of 15 talents of silver which I calculated and I will tell you in a second, was deposited in Athens as a pledge for their safe restitution. Or, yeah, restitution. So I looked it up. One talent of silver, or one talent as a unit of measurement, is a one-foot cube. So pretty big. So there's 15 of these. And in total, one talent of silver costs roughly $16,500. So they... He, they said that if he gave the books back, they would pay him $247,500 USD. Wowza. That's, that's a lot of money. But once he made the copies, he sent the copies back to them and told them he didn't want the money. And he was keeping the originals. So, yes. I want to do that. I'm going to steal your shit, make copies, and be like, fuck your shit. You get the copy. <laughs> right? Know, yeah, it, like. Yeah, it sounds so shady. Like. Like, good intentions, because, you know, collecting knowledge and things like that. I'm like, okay, all right. And then, but we're going to keep it. Yep. (laughs) And you can just fuck off. So is that more (laughs) like you keep the valuable one and you give them the copy? Was it, like, selfish? Okay. Yes. Yes, it is. Libraries collectors bought different versions of the same works because they wanted, like, every variation and all that. You know, like today, you know, we, we buy the same book over and over because we like the cover art and blah, blah, blah. Same kind of principle. Oh, okay. So one of the things that they owned multiple co- copies of, one of the books, was a, the homework text that came from Chios, from Sinope, and from Massilia. Of languages other than Greek, Egyptian had the largest section in the library. Ptolemy I is said to have encouraged Egyptian priests to accumulate records of their past tradition and heritage and to render them un- available for use by Greek scholars and men of letters whom he had invited to live in Egypt. Best-known examples from each group were the Egyptian priest Manetho, who had good command of Greek, and the Greek author Hecateus, there we go, of Abdera. (laughs) It's so hard. (laughs) Words are hard. So so there were other languages that were represented in this library, because this library was fucking massive. Mm -hmm. So besides the bulk of the Greek literature and a full corpus of Egyptian records, there's evidence that the library incorporated the written works of other nations. 
in the early 3rd century BCE, a Chaldean priest named Barosus wrote in Greek a history of Babylonia. His book quickly became known in Egypt and was probably used by Manetho. According to Pliny the Elder, which I want a cool name like Pliny the Elder when I get right? old. Just, <laughs> just <sighs> side note that one. But Hermippus of Alexandria wrote a voluminous book on Zoroastrianism. I had never heard this word, so I looked it up. And that is a monotheistic pre-Islamic religion of ancient Persia founded by Zoroaster in the 6th century BCE. So a, a monotheistic religion. Mm-hmm. And this was there. So then there were also Buddhist writings were also available as a consequence of the exchange of embassies between Ashoka and Philadelphus. The translation of the Pentateuch from Hebrew into Greek was a practical necessity for the large Jewish community in Alexandria, which had already Hellenized by the end of the third century BCE. Side note, I had to also look up Hellenized and it is basically because I know when I listen to these going back, I'm like, shit, I didn't define that. So I just find a lot of shit today. So Hellenized means that it's the historical spread of ancient Greek culture, religion, and language over foreign peoples that were conquered by the Greeks or brought into their sphere of influence. So they're kind of like colonizing. So tons of books, stealing people's shit. All right. So I also, I love how they cataloged and classified these books. They basically wrote full bibliographies for these catalogs that included the title, the author name. And they were divided into sections as rhetoric, law, epic, tragedy, comedy, lyric poetry, history, medicine, mathematics, natural science, and miscellaneous. So, like, they had a really good system in place. It's a little bit more specific than I was imagining. That's pretty cool. I was, too. And um, I've always seen mentioned, but not really substantiated, that... Alexandria contained statistically about 1% of all knowledge in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was such a great tragedy because I mean it put it pushed us back like so many centuries and like knowledge, written knowledge. But I don't know how accurate that 1% is. So I guess it makes sense that it was really done the way it was, but I just didn't expect it to be so complicated. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, it's mainly because the Library of Alexandria that the scholars of the Malcyon were able to maintain scholarship at the highest level in all the areas of learning. So in appreciation for this kind of idea, that library was, like, really a research center for scholars from all over. So Mm -hmm. it was just, it was really a thing. So here's what happened with Alexandria. So because Alexandria was so big, They ended up adding another building, a branch library, actually, as it was listed in the Britannica article, Mm -hmm. called Serapium. So the Royal Library, which is what Alexandria was called, was a casualty of war. In 48 BCE, Julius Caesar became involved in a civil war in Egypt between Cleopatra and her brother Ptolemy XIII. And Caesar sided with Cleopatra. We all know this. We've all seen the movies with Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Oh, just me? What? No. Oh, hopefully you guys have watched that uh, historical roast with Cleopatra. They make a lot of good digs about her marrying her brothers and her son. (laughs) I haven't watched that yet. I stopped watching before they did Anne Frank because I feel like that's one that shouldn't have been done. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was 
the host is Jewish, so they did it as tastefully as possible. But yeah, it was still a little rough to watch. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's one of those you don't punch down on. But anyway, so uh, there was a lot of masturbation jokes. So if you've read Anne Frank, you get that. Not okay, the censored right. version. The uh... <laughs> love it. Yeah. Yes, people, there is a censored and uncensored version of Anne Frank. Read them both. <laughs> Band- Banned book, bitches. Yes. Banned book week. But yeah, so if you've seen all that, you know, and if not, sorry. <laughs> so Caesar was on Cleopatra's <laughs> side, and soon he was, like, besieged by the Ptolemaic forces by land and sea in the harbor. And he realized that his only chance to escape was, like, by setting fire to the enemy fleet. And the fire spread to the library and burned it down. Okay, I think I always just assumed that it was burned purposely. I did too. Well, there's differing accounts. Some people say that he destroyed it on purpose, but there's also, it's kind of conflicting, but the most I've seen says that it kind of just spread from the fleets. But then Plutarch, who was a Greek man person, (laughs) man man person, (laughs) said that, in a quote, Caesar was forced to repel the danger by using fire, which spread from the dockyards and destroyed the great library. So it's kind of like it could go back and forth, but mostly it, it's, it leans towards he didn't mean to. But it just makes me think of like Gretchen Wieners in Mean Girls, how you need to stab Caesar. So like, <laughs> I don't feel bad that he got stabbed since he burned down this fucking library. Yeah. Can you imagine? Like, all I think about is that if I could go back in time, I want to know it's there because there's speculation that there were so many different books of the Bible that nobody ever got to read again. Yes. And it could have changed everything. History, religion, everything we know about civilization. Absolutely. So what blows my mind is I didn't even know until I was writing my notes for this that the second building, the Serapium, existed. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it did not burn down with Alexandria. So it lived until the 4th century, as long as paganism survived. But when Christianity became the like one and only true religion throughout the empire, Emperor Theodosius I decided to wipe out all vestiges of paganism and oh. issued a decree in 391, I know I hate this shit, sanctioning the demolition of temples in Alexandria. Empowered by the imperial decree, Theophilus, who was bishop of Alexandria, led an attack on the Serapium, and he himself gave the first blow to the cult statue of Serapis. So his frenzied attacker, attacker, attackers, followers, ran him up in the uh, temple, and they destroyed it and plundered it. And when the destruction was complete and like everything was burned and destroyed, he ordered that a church be built on the site. Oh, my God. Which is even worse to me. I'm sorry. It's just, I never knew. I I think it was one of those things where everybody, like I went into it and everyone around me already knew what happened and I was too embarrassed to ask and never thought to Google till now. That's it. That Theodosis yeah. and that Theo whatever is both going on the fuck you list. We still need to make that <laughs> list, yes. Well, the people were like, fuck you, Columbus. Fuck you, Hitler. Yes. This guy's yeah. going on that list. We also it. added Dave Coulier to that list off yeah. off record but we're putting it on record now he he, he knows what he did yes he <laughs> ought to know <laughs> anyway so that's the burning of alexandria oh man i'm really glad you did that i don't think i Me too. really understood. I, I just now yeah i just now learned a lot sweet 
I've always seen that photo or that painting where you see like the lighthouse of Alexandria and then the library burning behind it. But yep, it just I guess I've always assumed that people just did it on purpose. Oh, yeah. It yeah, seems more tragic that it was an accident. <laughs> like, yeah, that it, makes Caesar. it even worse, right? God damn it, Caesar! I know with all those originals in there, um, oh, just all of that lost. Every just, like, you, you know, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Like they should have been spread out, should have been spread around. So they're probably cocky too. Like I'm gonna steal your shit and I'm gonna hold it, and nobody can do anything about it. And then real talk, <sighs> fire. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's really tragic. I still hold on hope that someday somebody will, like, dig something up and something was saved. That would like be that, wonderful. Uh, the museum that burnt down the Brazil Museum fire, like, they lost some of the biggest collection of world history in the entire world. Oh, yeah. But uh, they actually said that, like, over 2,000 artifacts have been saved so far, <gasps> just digging oh, through the rubble. Oh, so that, like... Good. I read that and I had hope. I'm like, what if somebody digs up something and some things were saved? Maybe they're all calcified or something, but somebody did. But it was all papyrus probably, so it probably just right into flame. (laughs) All right, Natalie, what do you got for us? Okay, so my topic that you gave me was weird with libraries. Yeah. And it was hard. I, I did a lot of Googling and research. But stuff kept popping up, and it was, so I'm sorry this isn't quite so historical, it's actually current, but it's several really cool, weird libraries in the world. Um, Ooh, I like that. I figured it would be hard. Funny was really hard, too. I was like, Mm -hmm. So I'll start off with uh, Texas, actually, because Miss Kina. And so in McAllen, Texas, McAllen Public Library is actually considered the largest first floor library in the U.S. That's cool. Um, because they did their library in an old Walmart. What? Oh, cool. Yes. I didn't know that I needed that in my life until just now. And, well, you are welcome, ma'am. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I kind of looked at images of it, and it does not look really look like a Walmart at all. They've revamped it. I think there's like a coffee area. But it's an entire first floor. So just imagine a whole Walmart basically full of bookshelves and little lounges and stuff like that. It's just really neat. That sounds amazing. And I want to go there. Yeah. It's it's 123,000 square feet. Oh, wow. Holy shit. I mean, the largest single floor library. Like, it is the largest of the U.S. You know, that makes sense, because I know, like, in my hometown, when they built the new, like, super Walmart, the old Walmart just got abandoned. So that's really cool that they would revamp it and turn it into something good for the community. Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to be, like, four times the size of their original one. So they just super grow. Yeah. Wow. Another really cool library is in Paris, France. Hell yeah. Uh, It is also one of the largest of the world it's four towers that are in the shape of open books oh wow that's cool yes and in the middle is like a really neat courtyard kind of like a foresty courtyard so all collectively it's 22 story structures and so it's considered one of the largest of the libraries just because there's so many the buildings and just how it's divided and everything next is stuttgart germany Theirs 
actually got really ridiculed. It is basically a white Rubik's Cube. And to me, it looks really neat. It's all white, basically, with lots of lights. And it makes me think of an art gallery when I look at it on the bookshelves. And kind of like the painting of Crazy Stairs. So oh, we how have, like, cool! I yeah, just Googled so have, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, yeah, that's so cool. Um, so it's, like, all these different lights and white shelves and all these stairs and ramps going in different ways. But some people ridiculed it, saying that it looks just like a cube, it's boring, or that it looks like a jail, almost, just because there's not much color. But I love it because it, like I said, it's gallery-like, so it shows off the spines of all the colors of the books, mm-hmm. and like almost like their own feature. Yeah, um, it reminds me of those old, like, labyrinthy movies where, like, stairs go to nowhere. When you're looking out from far, it's just stairs everywhere, and it's all, it's very crisp and modern white. Really and, of course, cool. it, was, uh, it was designed by Ian Young Yi, so an Asian architect. So when I can, when I read that, I'm like, okay, I can definitely see this, the sort of Japanese or Asian kind of architecture in it. But anyways, I think it's a really cool library, and I feel a little sad that it got all that ridicule and stuff. I know. I love it. It's so simple, but it's, like, clean, and, like, I love Mm -hmm. Japanese architecture anyway. It's just so simple, and it's probably why they all have better mental health than the rest of us with all their complicated (laughs) bullshit, but... (laughs) Uh, I have two more really neat ones. One of them is the Graveyard Library. What? What? Mm-hmm. I figured y'all would like this one, especially with all your spookiness going on. So it is a library that is in a Jewish cemetery in Austria. Oh, wow. I don't uh, know during, whether that's sad or cool. A little both. So during the time of the Holocaust, the Nazis destroyed the cemetery. They wrote profanity and all kinds of stuff on the tombstones destroyed some of the stones everything like that but now there is a a memorial with all the names 127 jewish people names are on there and it's all the people that were killed or displaced during the time of the holocaust but they've built little libraries in place of some of the tombstones oh oh oh, my heart i know (laughs) right um so the tombstone is It's about the size of a large tombstone. So there's about three or four shelves with glass doors to protect the books. And in there is English, German, and Hebrew books all about Jewish philosophies and histories of their death. And so really respectful. And so there's just a handful of these little libraries all throughout the cemetery. So it's the Graveyard Library. Oh, my God. I love that. That's such a good way to, like, memorialize them, too. Yeah. And just kind of like, it's just, it's education, it's respect, appreciation. Like, I just really, I really love that one. And the last one that is like, just like a little nudge of my favorite. It is in Argentina, in the city of Buenos Aires. An artist, Raul Lemisov, (laughs) forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) He has created a weapon of mass instruction. Uh, okay. He has taken a car and made it look like a tank. And all along the frames of the tank are books. At the top of the car swivels. He's got a cannon. And it it does. It looks like someone took a tank and they stripped it and added all these books along it. And he just drives around the city passing out books. 
Oh my god, That's I love cool. that so much. <laughs> and some people like give him books, so it's just all kinds of exchanges, and it's just really neat. And that's happening today. This is within the past couple of years he's built this. Oh, my God. I have to travel to all these places. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's um, so cool. I Googled it. It's so cool looking. <laughs> and and this guy, like, totally looks like an artist. Like, he's got the crazy brown hair that's, like, fluffed out. And he's just, uh, there's a little video interview with him. And he's very eccentric. And people were like, I didn't know what he was building. It looked like a vehicle. It looked like a weapon. <laughs> Just like, it just looks crazy. And then he comes out with this book weapon. So it's the weapon of mass instruction. He uses it to battle ignorance and spread of knowledge. That is his goal. I love that so much. And it's kind of like a little bit of faith in humanity kind of moment on that one. Yeah. Like, good job, man. Throwing it out there. There are so many other little crazy libraries. Like there is vending machine libraries in other countries randomly popping up. Yes. Uh, that's my kind of library. There's a beach library where if you're on vacation at one, um, like it is literally in the sand of uh, some bookshelves and people <laughs> on the vacation will pick out a book, read it while they're on the beach, while they're on vacation and bring it back. Oh, that That's is so cool. cool. That's yeah. handy. And it's in, uh, I think, so all kinds of different languages too. Like, so it's for everybody. Oh. There's libraries on camels and on donkeys where they go and travel like in Africa. Oh, oh wow. Man. I don't know. I was just really proud. Like, good job, world. Like, to yeah. look without knowledge So, out there. there's this group that it's one of my, like, bucket list items is to join them. They're called Librarians Without Borders. And they take knowledge to, like, quote-unquote third world areas and set up, like, mobile internet stations. And they do the ma- mobile bookmobiles and stuff like that. And it's so cool. And they've done these like on camels and little bikes and stuff like that. And I'm so like fascinated by it. I read about them a lot when I was getting my MLIS. And I just, I want to be part of that group so bad. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, it's Yay. awesome. This is a fun theme. It kind of restored my faith in humanity a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. So and I love how we started off as like your Trumpness and like some of this <laughs> and like crypt president libraries and then we go into burning <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then like faith in humanity like we are yes. trying to spread knowledge everywhere whether it's on a donkey on a camel a vending machine a phone booth someone in yeah they made old phone booths into there is one. an old english phone booth book library in downtown little rock in the river market by the police station mm-hmm. oh they turned that into a library yep Oh, that's cute. Yeah, so it's, yeah, we, like, library work is everywhere, even in, like, the trees. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool, and I and love it. It's not the Lorax. Yes, <laughs> we, the <laughs> we even had a, a listener message us and say that because of us talking about the library and me, like, going on and on about all the cool stuff that we do in that one extra episode, she actually went and got a library card, which I'm just so happy about. Like, it mm-hmm. uh, it warms the cockles of my cold, dead heart, and I love well, it. Also, especially since everything that we do is free. Yeah. Like, this is free to you, public. Yes. Um, <laughs> very rarely is anything charged, like you have to buy a ticket for. And if it is charged, that's just because it costs a ridiculous amount for either the materials or the presenter. Real time. Um, and that's rare. And so it's it's free. So and get the to the library today. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Or tomorrow. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Like my library is doing free yoga tomorrow. So it's even stuff like that. Yeah, ours is too. They they the one here in town. It does free yoga at alternating locations every Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's my biggest pet peeve when people are like, "Libraries are dying." I don't know why you care. They're I'm so like, obsolete. I'm like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> They've just evolved. They're not yep. dying. But yeah, so that was week two of libraries. Next week we will come to you with a different topic. That was voted on by our Patreon members. And if you'd like to join Patreon, go to www.patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And we have all kinds of goodies. We got book lists, bucket lists, bloopers, extended deleted scenes. You get the episode early. So if you're impatient like I am and want to listen to it a couple of days earlier, go on Patreon. And we're adding, you can get a coffee mug tote bag all kinds of good stuff so go there and check it out yes and if you want to follow us on social media we are on facebook instagram and twitter at historical af pod and we love talking to people on there all the time yes and we need your stories so please email us at historical af pod at gmail.com if you have a family story if you have a cool hometown legend that you want us to research just anything just email us please pretty please We finally started getting some emails from stuff, and we, we like we freak out every single time. So please, yeah, keep sending those. So, so yeah. good. Oh, and if you're planning on raiding Area 51, you need some merch. So you should go to our Spreadshirt site and buy some alien shirts. Yes, if you're and, popping uh, willies on your uh, uh, space helicopter. Yeah. Obviously, you need a T-shirt that says that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you take a picture with an alien wearing one of our shirts, we will definitely buy you something. Yes. Yeah. That's might fair. be a beer. Beer <laughs> might be bail money. We'll see. Bail, bail money. money. <laughs> yes. For breaking into Area 51. I was watching Stephen Colbert and he was like, yeah, Bud Light was like, I'll give free beer to all the aliens. And he's like, well, we don't know yet if they drink water. <laughs> I shared the best <laughs> meme because, like, we are living for the Area 51 memes right now. So I saw the best one today that it was the Air Force official account tweeting, uh, if y'all don't invade Area 51, we'll make sure Netflix doesn't get rid of the office. And someone else was like, well, there goes all the white people. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that one. That's yes. Good. And I, there was another that said uh, Marilyn Manson escaped from Area 51 to uh, remove a rib to suck his own dick. Like that whole thing from when we were little. Anyway. <laughs> but All yes. Right. That's what you should end on. Like right there. Like cut. Right. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, bitches. Yes. Peace. <laughs> on that note, have a great week. Yay. Bye. Bye. Bye.